Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is freight forwarding catches up with my friend, Sharm Shalaya. Welcome, Sharm. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Very good, very good. When Sharm and I, I've known Sharm probably a year, and every time I say his name, I think, oh, am I pronouncing the way Sharm does or the way his relatives do? Because there's like five different pronunciations of his <laughs> last name. Yeah, we can't decide ourselves. You know, my <laughs> wife, when we were getting married, she was like, all right, so how does how, how do you pronounce this, all right? It's like, ah, you know, Chalia, Chalaya, Chalia, you know, whatever works for you. She said, what? The what? whole family's coming in, you know, like, I need to know how to pronounce it right. It's like, well, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> what does your mom and dad say? So my mom and dad say Shalia. And then my, my cousins say Shalia. And then kind of the more American way is Chalia. <laughs> we'll get into all that in just a second. So first, Sharm, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling in from today. Yeah. So my name is Sharm Shalia. I'm a global account executive at Flexport which is a San Francisco-based freight forwarder, and I am based in the Atlanta office, but currently have been quarantining at home in Atlanta. And what Flexport does is we make global trade easy for companies. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this podcast. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, and we're finally hit with the record button. So, Sharm, tell us a little bit about you and where you grew up and where you went to school. Yeah, so my family is Sri Lankan, but I was actually born in New Zealand. I then moved to the States when I was 12, I grew up in Maryland. I attended the University of Maryland. Go Terps. All I, right. I yeah, I'm, we are very upset that the basketball season got canceled this year. <laughs> Those are definitely our chance to shine. So hopefully it kicks back up next year. Yeah, football's not been your sport just yet. Although, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not our strength for sure. Basketball you know, is where it's at. Yeah, my- I got a degree in information systems and philosophy at Maryland. Currently, I am an avid golfer. Uh, I think even more so. Now, during the quarantine and COVID, but also a retired DJ, I've got a wife, cat, dog, and a house. So I've got all the prerequisites for the kids, but no kids yet. Yeah, well, you're going to have to figure out how to say the last name before you have kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Then you also have to come up with like the name that fits like your wife's family, your family, and also like recognize your culture and all that. So. Yeah, he's not going to be named Tom, right? No, no, no. no. It's the naming, you know, has already begun. Names have been thrown out left and right. Yeah, yeah. That's a continual process. Yeah, I always remember when I had kids, my wife said, well, of course, it has to be named after a family member and after a saint. And I was like, what? I mean, what is that? It's something you don't talk about, right? You don't talk about when you're living together, or even finances before you get married, being the family. Yeah. You don't talk about like the prerequisites for kids' names. Yeah, and then like my mom's like, No, she's right. You gotta name it after a saint. And I was like, Oh all right, I guess give me that book of saints. I gotta figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> like, Do you have any family members named blank? Right. Well, the best is, you know, is when a name gets proposed and one of us doesn't like it, and then the other person's hurt that they don't like the theoretical name for the theoretical child. 
Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I just had this conversation with my, my daughters, both in their 20s. I just had this conversation with my mom and I said, you know, you worry so much about a name because you're like, how about Jessica? And then somebody says, oh, I used to work with this girl, Jessica, and I didn't like her at all. But as soon as you name your kid Jessica, you're going to love the name Jessica. So I always <laughs> think like it's only going to have that context afterwards. So we eliminate all these names that we don't like. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a continuing process. You, it'll be, it'll be even more fun with you, you, you and your wife. So it'll work out great someday. But um, today we're going to talk about freight forwarding catches up. But before we do that, Charm, give us the basics of freight forwarding. Not everybody does that everybody every day, and I know you do. So give us just the, the high level how freight forwarding works and why we need it. Yeah, so it's interesting because I'm only two years in the industry. You know, traditionally, I actually came from an IT background. And so actually, it's going to be interesting talking about where freight forwarding, what we do, and then actually like why, once you, once I explain it, you're probably like, why did an IT software guy into freight forwarding? So freight forwarding, what it is, is a type of company that helps you manage your international supply chain. So basically it helps you get goods from point A to point B in the most cost-efficient and timely manner, and typically from international countries. So the most common is, you know, China to the U.S., but it can be anywhere, even Canada to the U.S., Europe to the U.S., et cetera. And so this company basically manages the complexity because there's you know, a trucker to pick it up from the factory. Let's say air fryers, right, for example. So I'm making air fryers. we got to get a trucker to pick it up. we got to get it on a vessel, an ocean liner to get it to the U.S. i got to clear customs on both sides, export, import, and i got to trade it. And i got to pay all of those individual people, right? And so doing that over and over and over again becomes unmanageable. And so companies hire a freight forwarder to manage that. Yep. We didn't touch on this, Charm, just yet, but I think we should. So you didn't start off in freight forwarding. You started over in IT. And I've said this a few times to you when we've been prepping for this, is that you've kind of had this unusual career path that probably wouldn't have happened 10 years ago for like an IT guy to move over to freight forwarding or anywhere in logistics. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I started my career out at a company called MicroStrategy, which is an enterprise software company. We do business intelligence and analytics. So basically getting data and building reports and dashboards and mobile apps and things like that. So very, very technology-focused, IT-focused company. And I actually started out in tech support at that company. So when someone couldn't run a report, they'd call me, right? How did I get into freight forwarding from that? So from there, I went into sales engineering where I got to build out some of the demos, answer the technical questions for clients, and just help my company grow business and partner with clients. And then I got into the sales side. And there was interesting because we got to do some large digital transformation projects with Coca-Cola and Home Depot. So really helping those companies transform their business using technology and data to do it, right? And one of the big ones that everybody wants is end-to-end supply chain visibility. And so... I was seeing that we were doing, these projects were taking three, four years to implement, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And these are obviously large organizations, but I was like, wow, this is, this is really crazy, really tough. And Flexporter reached out and I had no idea about Flexport or freight forwarding, but I was like, wait, this company has a platform that is doing this and it's part of the service. I was like, this is really interesting. And so 
I, you know, I joined Flexport. I kind of gave it a chance and I have been loving it ever since. And it was really fun trying to explain to my family and my friends, my colleagues, like what I was doing for going from selling enterprise software to moving freight <laughs> was a fun conversation. But, you know, Charm, you probably wouldn't have moved to Flexport if it wasn't kind of the technical tech-centric company it is. I mean, it very much is a logistics company, but it's tech-forward, right? Yeah, no, the culture is very similar to the culture that I had. So, you know, Flexport is based in uh, Silicon Valley, and so it's been a fast-growing company. went from zero to over a billion dollars in revenue in just six years. And You guys are one of those unicorns they talk about, a billion-dollar startup. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because they have this, the software and the technology, but what I really like about it is underneath it, it's we're delivering a service, right, at the end of the day, which is tied to real, I call it the bits and atoms. In enterprise software, it was really more bits. So you're kind of moving data around and building applications. And there was real impact at the bottom, but it was kind of far away. Whereas here, the technology is great, but all the cool dashboards and maps in the world and the exceptions don't really matter if we don't get your container in on time for Christmas sales. Right. right. So. Before we get to so today's topic is freight forwarding catches up, and we'll talk about that and, and the lag that freight forwarding traditionally had behind d- domestic transportation. But before we get into that, Charm, let's talk a little bit about this. In this COVID era, we've had so much turmoil. Talk about what's going on with freight forwarding. I know there's a like a ton of freight stuck on the West Coast. I know there's tariff discussions. I know there we're jump we're coming into the busy season. So talk about all that mess that you're dealing with every day. Yeah, it's been so interesting, Joe, to learn uh, about the industry over the past two years. And I have just had nothing but chaos the last two years that I've been in the industry. I don't know any better. So I you don't know any different. <laughs> yeah, I don't know any different. So I guess this is how it goes. So my career started with the three oh one Trump tariffs. And so what those are is essentially The imports from China to the U.S. is the largest trade lane in the world. So basically, the largest flow of goods is from China to the U.S. And the tariff is essentially is basically the tax you pay to bring a good from one country to another, also called a duty. And so there's normal duties on on most products. But what the 301 tariffs are was a list of specific products, three lists that Trump had put additional tariffs on goods coming from China. So maybe you were used to paying 10% of the goods, let's say at the air fryers, let's use those as an example. And air fryer, you paid $100 for it. So 10%, you paid $10 duty. Well, the 301 tariffs increased that to an additional 25%. So not only are you paying the 10% already, but you have 25% additional. So now you're paying $35 in duties on the product, right? That really created a mass amount, you know, of imports coming in and people trying to pull volume forward and store it to be able to get goods in before those tariffs. And that's really messed up a lot of the movement between China and the U.S. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of good reasons for why Trump wanted to do this. And I understand the reasoning. It's just interesting, you know, how it's affecting the global trade. So then come 2019, where... The volumes were down because trade was down between China and the U.S. And so a big player in this market is the steamship lines or the ocean carriers. So these are the folks who own the vessels, sometimes own the containers on the vessels that get the product from China to the U.S. Steamship lines have been losing money over the past five years. And 
they have not really had a good run of it. And so what they started to do is because there was less demand is they actually started to institute blank sailings. So what blank sailings are is when a vessel moves in a string. So basically a big circle around the world that stops off at multiple ports. So it'll stop off at a couple ports in China, maybe come to the West Coast, stop off at a couple ports in the West Coast, maybe go to the East Coast. And then maybe Europe and come back. So that's called a string, right? So is the idea behind that just to be full? Yeah, the idea ideally, right, is to be able to be full and to be able to remove and pick up containers at each individual port to be able to be as optimized as possible to generate the most revenue. The other piece is that it would just take too long to go back and forth directly for most lines. And there's not enough demand, right, to do so. Right. So bring us up to speed. What happened with the COVID? Yeah. So uh, so what carriers actually started to do, they started to do this a couple of years ago where they started to do these blank sailings, where they remove supply right out of the market. And they basically artificially increase the demand. And so come COVID, everybody thought that everything was going to shut down, right? March, April. So carriers instituted these blank sailings again. And in a much more aggressive fashion to be able to keep rates, uh, ocean rates up. But what very few people predicted is that demand was not only going to come back, it was going to increase. So you had a lot of retailers who were canceling orders at the beginning of the year. And we weren't filling space in April to May, June, July, demand going through the roof, mainly driven by e-commerce here in the U.S. We think that e-commerce has been brought forward, the demand for e-commerce brought forward five years ahead, right? We've got we're at home, international travel's been canceled, our domestic travel's been canceled, we got more expendable, and we're just at home, scrolling on social media, right, buying stuff, got new hobbies. And so that demand has really just gone through the roof, but the carriers haven't bring, brought on this additional capacity back. So in short, it's really, really hard to get stuff out of China right now, and the rates are through the roof. One of my buddies at, at Flexport, he's been in the industry 20 years plus, He's solely focused on what we call the Trans-Pacific Eastbound, which is uh, China, Asia to the U.S., and he's never seen anything like this. And so one of the other things that the COVID has caused, very interestingly, is the U.S. is buying a lot of stuff, and we're getting a lot of stuff over here. But because of COVID and just the negotiations with China and the U.S., the containers are not coming back. So there's not actually containers to be able to put goods in in China. We actually don't have anything to put them in right now. Meaning China's not buying from us. Exactly. And as well, you know, India plays a part in this too. The India lockdown is a part of it because some containers flow through India as well. So it's been very interesting that not only has COVID really changed things from a demand standpoint, but also a supply of containers. Right. You know, when you think about the, the U.S. market and the Chinese market, they're very different markets. We did get money pumped into the economy. I don't know to the extent that the same happened in China, but this was also a lot very driven by, it mentioned e-commerce, it's driven by consumers. This isn't all driven by high production of cars, let's say. They probably, I didn't look lately, but I suspect that 2020 is not a good year for manufacturers. But but, but we, um, I always say this is not the crisis that our great-grandparents would have lived through where you missed meals and <laughs> you suffered. I mean, we suffered because we had to stay at home and watch TV. Yeah, and I think it's it's been really interesting because my dad is a, is an avid, self-proclaimed economist. And he and I always talk, and one of the things he always mentions is that like this wasn't a failure of a system, right? 
it wasn't a failure of a financial system or a government system, right? Right. So there's still trust. There's still trust in the system. And so that is allowing for trade and all these things to still continue and why it's odd, right? That you're seeing this kind of spike in demand. You know, I was doing, this gets way off track, but you know, hopefully it'll be short. I do my ancestry stuff. So I was doing the ancestry.com and I noticed, uh, I said, oh, I, I found that my grandmother had a sister that she had never mentioned. I didn't know her well, but my mother said, no, no, she never had a sister. And I said, yes, yeah, she did. She had a sister who died in this pandemic, what, 1918. And her sister would have been like 21, 22 years old when she died. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember reading about that just before this pandemic. And I remember thinking to myself, how strange that would seem now for a 20-year-old to die of in a pandemic. And I know, fortunately, very few have here. But yeah, as I said, this that pandemic was way worse. And we had so much less capability to manage it. Yeah, it's been very interesting, I think, seeing where we are with technology. And I think it's been very interesting to have this pandemic happen during this time. It's obviously you know, a tragedy and a lot of folks have lost their lives and been chronically sick. But having mobile technology along with e-commerce and the internet and cloud computing, AI and data and all these things kind of at a really strong place to be able to support the demand has been very interesting. Yeah, it's also what we started to see is all the little all the little breaks in the supply chain. I mean, yeah. for the most part, when you go to the grocery store, there's more or less everything you need. And I drink too much Diet Coke. And every once in a while, there's not enough Diet Coke. And a friend of mine said, well, that's because they need, I think, CO2 or something. That's a byproduct of oil refining, and they get short. I was like, who would have ever known that right? <laughs> until COVID? But <laughs> I mean... Hopefully we're getting past it. It's, it's, it seems like a horrible gift that just keeps giving. But let's switch gears here, Sharm. So we've talked about freight forwarding, the basics. Now let's talk about why freight forwarding lagged behind technology-wise and experience-wise behind domestic. Let's talk a little bit about that. So why did kind of that freight tech lag in the, and I would say customer experience lag in the freight forwarding space? Yeah. So, you know, I think. It's been really interesting. I think talking with you as well, it's been interesting, like comparing, contrasting domestic to international travel, because I think in domestic, some of the things that everybody's used to is kind of real-time information, managing by exception, right? Up-to-date communication and being able to book and quote loads online, right? Be able to see financials and on-time performance, right? all the stuff that you're used to. And really in freight forwarding, all of that is really difficult. And that's really been driven by a couple of factors. So the number one is the complexity, right? There is no one company that is big enough to move your shipment. We'll use the air fryers again, right? You got a thousand air fryers. There's no one company in the world that is big enough to move your shipment from end to end to any location in the world. Now, if you think about it for small parcel, we call it like mail or a package, FedEx and UPS can do that, right? They have a network from end to end. But when it comes to freight, there's no one that owns enough trucks in China and then has a brokerage and then owns a steamship line and then owns a container and then import your goods and then owns the trucker to be able to deliver, right? And so 
as a result, you have all these different parties that I just mentioned, right? So you got Origin Trucker, you got the Customs Broker, Export Clearance, you got the Steamship Line, you've got the Destination Trucker, you got the Import Customs Broker, right? So at a minimum, you're dealing with maybe seven to 15 different parties. Yeah, I remember years ago reading about this, that at the average freight forwarding shipment had 13 or 14, 15 people, something like that, depending, and multiple companies, as you just mentioned. And then then you look at the domestic transportation. So if I'm a shipper and I'm sending it to a receiver, I might have a freight broker in the middle or a 3PL, and there's a trucking company. So the communication is all (laughs) hopefully managed all within a transportation management system, maybe an ERP. But on top of that, we're all in the same time zones, more or less. Exactly. You're absolutely right, right? Distance and time. That's the second one, right? So you have not only people internationally in different time zones, but different languages, right? And different rules and different laws. Yeah, the tariffs. <laughs> yeah, different tariffs, right, that are consistently and constantly changing. And I think the third one is really just where the industry came from, right, to manage this complexity. So freight forwarding is a 200-year-old industry. And if you can imagine, right, 200 years ago, there were no cell phones. There are no phones, right? There are no faxes. The only way you could move goods from one place to another was on a boat, right? It was on a vessel. And you had to move those documents, those communication with that boat and vessel. So the only way that you could move goods is having people on the ground in every location that you wanted to move goods. You had to have super strong standard operating procedures, right? To be able to move these goods. And so I got to applaud the freight forwarders out there, right, who have been around for a really long time. To be able to manage this and do this without the aid of the internet, right, um, with data and technology is amazing. Charm, just imagine how excited somebody was in like 1982 when they're like, hey guys, we got a fax machine. This is going to get a lot easier here at the company. I just had started my career in the 80s. And I remember I worked at an engineering company, very high-tech engineering company. And I remember when our customer, which was Ford Motor Company at the time, would come over, we would take them on a tour of our facility. And again, we were <laughs> automotive engineers, right? We toured them past our fax machine. <laughs> You see, we have a state-of-the-art fax machine that we can fax things, and then we would explain the process. <laughs> Very cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think you had, Joe, you had a story about CAD drawing that you know used to get sent physically. Yeah, back in the day, in the 90s, I was working back and forth to China, and we would ship drawings, blueprints, back and forth. And I remember one of the guys who was a Chinese-American but he lived, grew up in China, but he lived here in the U.S. He said, Joe, I think I can email those drawings to China. And he goes, they say they can receive it. It was going from Chrysler to Beijing Jeep. And I remember I was like, hey, if we can, that'd be great. We weren't really even using that much email here at the time. I mean, we all had email addresses. And I remember the boss would say, you have to open your email at least once a day. We're like, for what? yeah i I actually remember i was just young enough that you know we started emailing our homework but email still wasn't the most reliable that i could get away occasionally being like oh you didn't you didn't get that email i mean i I you know i remember like the boss would send test emails like i sent you an email and you didn't answer i was like oh god like this is ridiculous i don't want to do this but i remember we sent an email from my (laughs) coworker ken sent an email to China. And 
about three weeks later, I got a phone call from somebody. They go, we got your email. We got those drawings. I was like, when'd you get them? He goes, today. <laughs> I was like, it took three, three weeks to send an email to China. And oh, we were yeah. pretty pumped about it. We're like, well, it's not super reliable, but it did get there. And Joe, the interesting thing, right, which has been over the 200 years, the only thing that's really changed is the fact that now people are emailing maybe documents back and forth and picking up the phone or maybe using Excel sheet, right? That's really all that's changed in the industry. But in general, people are doing things the same way that they've always done them. And not because they don't want to do something different, just because the technology hasn't existed to be able to do anything different. Right. So, Jarm, you work at Flexport, and I know you guys are very tech-centric, so you guys are kind of the cutting edge of what I'll call freight forwarding technology. Talk about some of the ways that you feel like freight forwarding technology has caught up to what we do on the domestic side. Yeah, and I'll touch on as well just a little bit that logistics teams of companies, right, are the unsung heroes, and they're just doing the best they can right, with the tools that they have available. And I think a logistics manager's good days when no one comes to him, right? <laughs> and everything goes right. well. And so I'm really happy and excited to get into the industry at this time that not only Flexport, but other companies in general. I think we, you know, we mentioned Chattanooga and in the freightways are doing like the industry in general is just catching up, right, with the rest of the world and it's making people's lives so much easier. And so really where freight forwarding is heading is what Flexport's mission is, is just to make global trade easy for everyone, right? And it's, it's so freaking hard right now, but our goal is just to make it easy for everyone. And the number one thing that I'm seeing right now, which is I'm loving, is modern, easy-to-use interfaces. Yes. People have had <laughs> technology out there forever, right? They've had websites and platforms that you can look and see where your shipment is, but they're not easy to use. They're not always up to date. It's hard to find you know, information and it's really limited, right? In what you can do. And people are used to using apps, right? If you ever want to know where the industry is going to go, where business is going to go, just look at where consumer technology is going, right? The expectations for people with Uber and Airbnb and Amazon can't tell you how many times at my old company, MicroStrategy, they were building a report, right? Or building a dashboard. And people were like, well, I can Google and get the answer in two seconds. Like, why can't I just write a question of what was the net revenue for 2019 and pull that up, right? And now technology's caught up that there are platforms out there that are able to do that, right? Yep. Well, and that's, that speaks to what we touched on when we were prepping for this, Charm, which is when we're using consumer technology like Amazon and Facebook and all these other technologies, you get a sense for what's possible. And then when you go to work and somebody says, oh, yeah, and I go on this green screen and I have this clunky system that's not at all intuitive, you go, I don't want this. And I, <laughs> I want something I want something like I had at home. And that's I think that's I don't know if you guys still go by this, but I've heard Flexport be called uh, the Facebook of freight forwarding. And I've seen the interface. You gave me that demo last year and I was like, this is pretty slick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because when I got in here, my first question was like, why this doesn't seem like rocket science. Like why hasn't everyone done this? This is obvious. Right. And I think that there's a couple of reasons that some trends have come up that haven't been available in the past. Right. One of the ones that, you know, we talked about is obviously the internet, right? This, you know, really freight forward is just a relay race. It's a relay race of information and cargo. And the internet is allowed folks to be able to communicate, and not only just the internet, but globally, the internet being connected and the speed at which is necessary to trade information. But that combined with what we call the cloud, so being able to host applications globally 
in the internet and then the ability to store mass amounts of data and then have AI and machine learning, these four trends are really necessary, right? To be able to even start to think about developing this technology. I think Joe, we were talking like, imagine if I, back in the day, if I had to go to every warehouse and go to every office and go install Flexport on each, everybody's laptop and then go to China and do the same thing. Right. And if there was ever an update for the software, I'd have to do the whole thing again. Yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah, and also we talk about connectedness, if that's a word, is that you guys could be, let's just say even five, 10 years ago, you could have been like, yeah, Flexport's got this fantastic interface. And it's great. Everyone loves it within our four walls, right? Because <laughs> it's not used and somebody else is getting access to your system and downloading stuff and then putting in another system, right? And that was the clunkiness that we've had. And I think we're finally starting to get out of some of that clunkiness. Exactly. And the hard part, you know, for, I know, Joe, you've worked with large enterprises and I have as well. And why other folks haven't been able to do this yet or have struggled to really implement this long term is that it's really hard to inflict change in an organization, right? That's used to doing something one way and building a technology platform and, you know, rolling it out and completely changing how the workflow for hundreds of thousands of people is really tough, right? You know, when I was, we were building a mobile application for Coca-Cola to help them, the CFO, see their PNL on the go, right? So they could see how Smart Water is doing, how Coca-Cola is doing. And the app actually, while it was complicated, that wasn't even the hardest part. It was just getting the adoption and getting everyone to change their process. Right, right. I'd say this all the time. If you spend a big investments of your steamship line, the big investments would be in boats, not necessarily in technology. And if you're a manufacturer, you might spend on technology, but your first is I bought machines to make stuff. So it's not everybody's primary business to be in tech and take some money. But as the cost of technology has gone down, the recognition of how valuable it is, the investments are being made. So Sharm, let's talk again about these. The first thing you said was having this interface and kind of bringing us up to like similar to what you see in Facebook or Amazon or some of the consumer tech we use. And then this connectedness. What's some other things that you saw that we once lagged in freight forwarding, but we don't anymore? Yeah, I think the other big thing, right, is just real-time visibility. Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff, right? (laughs) You know, I think 90% of communication logistics, if not 100%, right? Some version of where's my stuff. And this is a complicated problem to solve because we are relying on data from steamship lines, from airline carriers, from terminals, and from ports. And so a lot of this has been a journey for us to connect to these carriers, but also to help them build out their digital strategies, right? Because everybody wants this. Like no one that we've talked to, customs and border protection, terminals, carriers, like no one is like, no. Like I don't want to be able to send automatic updates to all of my clients and customers and let them know exactly where my stuff is, right? Everybody wants it. But again, it's a really hard thing to do. And so it's been really cool to be able to not only like pull information together from satellites and from carrier websites and web scrapers, but also help companies with their digital strategies to enable better information sharing for everybody. Yep. I remember doing some freight forwarding. It's never been my main business, but I remember doing some maybe 10 years ago and I would call the freight forwarder and say, Hey, where's my stuff? And he'd say, Oh yeah, Joe, let me call you back. I'll yeah. either call you back late today or tomorrow for no later than tomorrow. 
And then he would call me back and say, your stuff is three days out or four days out or seven days out or whatever. That was real-time visibility. We all loved it. (laughs) Talk about how it's done today, Sharm. Yeah. So really today, how we're doing it is we are trying to automate the collection of data and information and push that information to you so that you know exactly where your stuff is whenever you want, 24-7, right? It's 2 a.m. in the morning. You want to figure out where your stuff is, log into the platform, you know. And then that's the base level one, right? It's just knowing you know where your goods are, being able to filter by them, customize them for what you want. And then that enables really the third thing, which... Before you jump to that, Sherm, I remember going on, this was last year when you gave me the demo, I remember looking, you guys get this whole map of, you know, this interface that allows me, there's my boat, and I could click on it and see where it was at in uh, how long it was until it hit port. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing, Joe, is we we try to give different visuals to different team members in the way they want. So, you know, a map is a really great tool to get an overall picture of your supply chain. We have the ability there to filter by different modes and you know, which ones have exceptions, which ones are a priority. But actually, really another popular visualization is a calendar widget, right, for receiving. So, oh, nice. they, yeah, they love the calendar widget, right? So it, it just has each day and then it has number of loads or containers that are coming in. So I got two today, three, and you can click in and see exactly what shipment that is. And so... That one actually has been really popular. And so we're continually trying to not only service the information, but surface it in just more easy to use methods, right? It's like another simple thing is just the filtering, right? Being able to build custom filters based on what's delivering in two weeks, what's delivering in two weeks to this warehouse, what's on this lane. And then the third one is actually giving business context to the shipments, so instead of it just being Flex 5143 PO005, it's Flex 5123PO0045 with a shipment tag, customer, Dollar Tree, season, fall, whatever, right. launch, like new product launch. So I can search right. rather than searching by containers, which I don't, how I think about my business, I can search by my customer or I can search by the parts. Or the the goods, right? You know, one other thing you talked about when we were prepping, you talked about this predictive transit time. I love that because you guys are using, I think, AI to tell me what's the chance of my stuff will be here on Monday. So a a confidence level. Yeah, you know, I think everybody wants the same things, right? They want a reasonable cost, market rate for a reliable service that is consistent, right? And that's a simple concept, but hard to pull off because of all the variability. And so instead of like relying just on the carrier websites of what they say, we're actually using historical data and some algorithms in the background to be able, when we actually quote you out, to actually give you a realistic transit time. So for example, this has been really helpful right now, shipment that might take 12 days to get from, 12 days to get from Shanghai to LA Maybe it takes a couple extra days, but then at the port of LA right now, there is a ton of congestion going on for a variety of reasons. So it typically it'll take three to five days to get a container discharged and out from the port to basically off of the vessel and then, you know, onto a truck. It's taking maybe around 10 days. So because we have that data, we're connected into the terminals and we have that data, we're actually sourcing that into the quote for you to give you a say, hey, realistically, this isn't going to be Friday. It's going to be 10. Sometimes we've had clients come back to us and say, what, what, what's going on? I, I got, you know, I'm used to 25 days. Like, what the hell? You guys are booking on a different service. 
But no, actually, this is like our prediction, a realistic prediction of what's going on in the market right now. And the whole idea behind that is just to is just to help people plan better, right? To just be realistic about what's happening and, and what's going on. And I think that underlies really the third big trend or set, you know, segue everyone. I love that confidence level, though, that you can give somebody, because as you said, everybody wants the same thing. But if you kind of have this, let's just say I'm working with an an old broke, an old uh, freight forwarder, he's been doing it for many years, and he says, well, based on my experience, this is going to happen. And that's kind of his gut feel based with his experience. And what's nice is now we're starting to say, let's use the technology in a way that can give me a confidence level. So 80% chance that it's here by Monday, 100% by Thursday. I love that as opposed to, well, you know, let me guesstimate a little bit here based on my 25 years. Yeah. And, and what we really try to do is we say, hey, okay, when do you need this product by? When's it going to be ready? And when do you need it by? And then we handle the rest, essentially. And we, okay, based off of that, here's your options, right? Um, and here's where we can go, right? And so, because, you know, ideally, no one's in the, well, very few companies are in the business of logistics, right? They're in the business of selling products, right? Growing a brand, growing a, a site, or right? growing a company and helping people. And logistics is a, is a necessary evil in that. But the more we can get people out of having to manage logistics and the day-to-day operations, the more they can focus on more strategic things that will actually help the company grow. I love it. I love it. So go on, you were saying on another thing? Yeah, so I think underlying the ability to have predictive transit times and to be able to move around and build visualizations is data. So one of the things that Flexport has benefited from is we started from scratch from day one being a tech-enabled freight forwarder. And so what that has allowed us to do is to structure data and to build all our systems so that we are capturing data in a structured way to be able to use it effectively. So at the predictive transit times, okay, so to be able to use predictive transit times, we have to be storing all of the actual milestones of when stuff is there. We also have to be storing all of the planned milestones, right? To be able to tell you, okay, like here is our on-time performance on each of these legs, right? Uh, whether it's your supplier and doing vendor management and how accurate are they on hitting their cargo ready date. So when they say the cargo is going to be ready, how good is our trucker at picking it up and getting it to the port on time? How good is the vessel from arriving and then departing? And that, you know, when it arrives, all these milestones and details, we need data. And because we've been able to now, you know, over the last six years, build this structured data, we can now start using it to help clients out. And one of the things that our, our clients really like is, that is not only seeing where their shipment is or their container, but actually going one level further and seeing where their individual products are. And I say that like people aren't in the business of selling containers, right? They're in the business of selling air fryers or shirts or phones or laptops, right? They're in the business of products, right? And the only reason why people look at shipments at a container level is because that's the only way they've been able to. But there's a lot of valuable data in the commercial invoice and the packing list. So this is basically... What the, you paid the supplier for the goods is what we call the commercial invoice. And the packing list is a detail of what's in the container. So with this information, these are documents that you need to clear customs, basically import your goods. And these documents are super valuable, but they are locked up in PDFs at best. So when, a lot of times when people say we digitize your documents, it means they put a PDF on a website. 
Right. They scan it. It's static. It's useful. Like what products are on this shipment? When was the last time I shipped this SKU? How many times have I shipped this SKU? How long does this SKU take to get here? What's the landed cost of this SKU, right? All that information is right there on the commercial invoice and packing list. And so what we do automatically for our clients is we digitize those documents using an AI algorithm and sometimes using physical folks. And we structure that data for you so that now the other added benefit, right, of having the structured data is you can search. Yeah, I can search by my product number. And you know what's interesting about that is it's the difference between static, not useful, and dynamic, searchable. We're so used to the idea, just as you said, of being able to say, well, what, why can't I Google it? <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm used to that, too. I remember many years ago when I was in automotive still, I would have like a list of the boat and then the container. And then I would think, well, I think these part numbers are in there, but we were working with people from China. And again, there's always miscommunication between our, our teams. And I remember thinking, it was like Christmas Day when those containers would arrive. You'd be like, <laughs> you would go, I hope this has everything that it's supposed to have in it. And then you go, oh, I guess half of my stuff's in this container. Maybe the other half's in the other one. You never really knew until like two days after you got it, what was received. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Or even like what's in which container, right? You might have a shipment with three containers on it, but you only need product from one of those containers, right? right? So how do you prioritize a container if you don't know what's in which container? Yeah, it's right? a surprise. It's, it's again, it's like Christmas Day where you're unwrapping gifts. Oh, what'd I get? <laughs> So that's just to recap here, you have the modernities use interface and then having that data and making it searchable, right, is a two. But honestly, the number one thing that clients really love and has been the biggest impact is just centralizing the communication. Yep. And one other thing, when we're talking about centralizing communication is any messaging or emails are all within your system. And I love that because it keeps the system as the, as the system of record. Because, you know, once people says, yeah, this is the system of record right here. So everything in the system is right. But then there's always, was always emails outside of it. So there'd be like that. Charm says everything in the system is what we agreed to, right, Joe? Yeah. But remember you sent me that email. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I think like email was never designed to run international supply chains. <laughs> so all the emails that I would have with you back and forth are in that system, time stamped, and there's no later on where you say, yeah, Joe, remember when I said it'd be five days later and it'd be an extra thousand dollars? I go, nope, it's either in the system or it never happened. So it's like pictures are never happened. <laughs> and you know, again, I just, I feel for all the logistics teams and members out there in the warehouses, in the front office or the back offices, like their jobs are so much harder because of the lack of the tools they have available to them. I am applauded. I applaud them because I haven't known anybody at the Joe, right? Like all my communication with all my partners, all my teams in Asia, my Europe, my procurement teams, truckers, everybody, everything's been through this platform, right? So that's all I'm used to. I had to communicate with a supplier, a new supplier that we were onboarding in France before they were onboarded the platform. And I had to do everything via email. And I was losing my mind (laughs) (laughs) because I I didn't know any better, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what logistics teams have to deal with for thousands of products (laughs) and suppliers like every day. This is what I'm most excited about is is the centralized communication. So not only having your team here, but your warehouse, your team in China, your supplier, Everybody from your freight forwarder 
all in one place, right? So that there's no mosquito, the trucker, you know, everything. And it's all there. It's time stamped. This is the biggest time savings for sure. Well, this is why we didn't do global trade in the past. It was just so much easier to work with the guy who was five states over, right? And now we have a global economy. And one of the things reasons we have it is because we've been able to take the enormous hassle and cost out of it. Every day it gets a little easier to do business with the rest of the world, which is important. You know, I always say if if goods don't cross borders, armies will. So let's get those goods crossing <laughs> borders, fellas. Yeah, no, and that's really just our goal, right? Is uh, you know, to make global trade easy, we we just believe that any two people in the world should be able to trade with each other and be able to know the laws, the rules, and do it in a legal way, right? And be able to do it without like all the middlemen, right, that are involved right now. Except for you, Sharp. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, well, honestly, we are trying to make ourselves obsolete. Like we're continually automating internally to be able to streamline things, to automate, just to make it easy. And we'll obviously always have humans there for that customer service piece. But honestly, if I work myself out of a job 20 years from now, because the platform and technology, and you don't need me to trade, I'll be a happy man. Right, right. <laughs> so, Sharm, we've covered a lot of ground here. So why don't you just summarize, give us four or five bullet points on how freight forwarding has caught up and then we'll close this out by hearing a little bit of what's going on over at Flexport. Yeah, no, I think for everyone listening, if you are in freight forwarding, you're moving things internationally, look to your consumer applications, look to other industries, and you should be expecting those same things from freight forwarding. So you should be expecting to be able to know where your goods are at all times, right? Real-time updates. It's like Uber being able to see that car coming, actually rolling that out this year as well. You should be able to search and have structured data to be able to make decisions, right? In this world right now, it is so complex. There are so many decisions. People are moving supply chains around. They're moving, making sourcing decisions. They're trying to figure out how to get product in. All these decisions, they're trying to control costs. All these decisions need data and you need access to that information. And there is the technology out there to give you access to that. So definitely go look for it. And I think... Wherever you can demand a partner that is consultative with you, right? There are some great folks out there that are going to give you options to figure out, okay, you can bring this into LA. Actually, you might be better to bring this into code. Actually, you can do LCL into LA. You might be faster to get it through than doing FCL. That's really what folks need. And that's what we're, we're seeing, you know, to basically go into 2021. Things aren't going to change. Demand is going to be strong. Supply chains are not getting simpler. They're getting more complex. So really having that partner that you can go to and say, hey, I should have access to this information myself. And when I have a question, you're getting more of a consultative approach. Clients that I've seen that have that are better off and are able to be more successful. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for this overview and this update of what's going on in the industry. Sharm, tell us a little bit what's going on over at Flexport. What's new? Yeah. So Flexport has been really exciting growth for us. As I mentioned, we've gone from zero to I think number six in the trends of the eastbound. JOC just published an article that we've grown 140% this year in an environment where most other forwarders have not been able to grow or grow very limited. So Clearly, what we're doing is helping clients and clients are, are liking it. And because of that growth, we're hiring. Definitely check out Flexport.com. Check out our careers. Love to add some faces to Flexport team. You're in Atlanta, but you guys have people in multiple offices around the country? Yeah. So right now, we have Chicago, New York, Dallas, LA, and Seattle in the US. We've also got offices in Europe and China as well. 
you know, definitely looking for folks to join the team. And then really what we're focused on kind of going forward and our vision here is really just to continue to drive and build out our technology. Yeah, so what Flexport is really focused on going into the following years is really just building out the rest of our technology uh, to help more companies get from that end-to-end visibility. So, you know, really just around PO management, again, just trying to get better and better predictive transit times, provide that analytics again to just to get more and more predictive. And so definitely an exciting time for us going forward and, and even just try to, you know, help provide visibility for clients that are maybe not moving freight with Flexport, right? Again, just, just trying to find more ways, you know, that we can help. And I think, you know, it's exciting times. Yeah. In this day and age, when you're used to kind of managing a supply chain, you have information within your four walls. If you're manufacturing something, you have information on where you're shipping to. And we're used to this all being there domestically. It's getting tighter and tighter. And freight forwarding has always been that kind of that black hole where you go, yeah, we have good information, except <laughs> as soon as it gets into the freight forwarding world, we en- enter the world of PDFs and disconnected. So really, as the title says, freight forwarding is catching up. And I think Flexport's one of those companies that's helping it catch up. So Sharm, what I'll do is I'll put in the show notes, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to Flexport. And if you want to reach out to you, they can and they should. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah. And for everyone, you know, I think Brexit's on the minds of everyone, the Trump tariffs, right? What's going on? Flexport.com is a great resource. Click on the resource page. We have a ton of content out there to help folks navigate through this change. So, Joe, thank you very much for the time. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And gosh, no, gosh, knows there is a lot of change. And you know, it's funny, we're going to get this past this COVID thing, but hopefully before too long, but there's always another change on the horizon. There's always going to be a new technology that we have, and there's always going to be a some economic change on the horizon. So yeah, good to have a resource like Flexport out there. Charm, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 